Amen. Well, good morning again and welcome. We're glad you're here this morning. We're going to continue with our series uh, called Missing Greatness. Uh, we've been in this for a few weeks where uh, folks in the biblical time period miss the greatness of Jesus. At first, it was because Jesus was from the wrong place. Uh, what good can come from Nazareth? Well, the Savior of the world can come from there. Uh, then he was part of the wrong family. Remember, he went back to his hometown and he was Mary's son, the carpenter. Don't we know his brothers and sisters? Surely this isn't the guy who can change anything. And then he had the wrong friends. He hung out with tax collectors and sinners. I, I know a tax collector. He's a pretty nice guy. He loves Jesus. So they, they. But in the ancient world, tax collectors were, were not anyone's friend. And yet Jesus loved them, uh, particularly one named Matthew, who became his disciple. And our youth pastor's name. Thank you, Matt. And then last week, we looked at the wrong timing. His brothers, who at the time didn't believe in him, uh, were trying to push him to be famous, to display his greatness in Jerusalem in front of everyone. And Jesus was like, it's not the right time. And his brothers uh, were fussy about that as a reminder to all of us, don't let people who don't believe in Jesus or believe in you push you to do things you shouldn't do. It's a great lesson for life. Uh, and then this week, we're going to look at how Jesus had the wrong enemies. You know, we all have people who don't really care for us. And some of those people matter, and some of those don't. And we're going to see today how uh, these enemies, though they were enemies of Jesus, uh, they help fulfill the plan of God, uh, that our Savior uh, would die for us uh, to forgive us of sin, exactly what we've just been singing about, that we would have freedom uh, through the death and the resurrection of Christ. And so uh, if you've got your Bible today, I want to encourage you to, to turn to Luke chapter 11. Those of you that are online, welcome. We're glad you're with us. Uh, you can turn in your Bible there as well, Luke 11. Uh, we're going to be in two passages today. So after I read this first passage, uh, I want to encourage you to keep your Bible open because we're going to come back to it uh, towards the end of the message today. But as Jesus walked and taught and did miracles and all that, people began to really embrace him and others began to hate him more and more. And on the surface, uh, the passage we're going to look at today may seem like, hmm, it's a, that's a strange thing to get mad about. Because you might have had that happen in your own life where somebody got really angry at you over something you thought was insignificant. Like you thought, this is no big deal, just chill out. Some of you parents probably have had that with your children. You thought it was a big deal and they just knew this is nothing. Relax. And probably in the grand scheme of things, it might be nothing. But this is what happened here. There was a big deal to the Pharisees. They really thought that Jesus had done something really, really bad and he's trying to open their eyes to the things that are much more significant than washing your hands. And so let's look at a Luke uh, 11, verse 37 to 44. It says this, while Jesus, in verse 37, while Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, 
but the inside but inside you are full of greed and wickedness you fools did not he who made the outside make the inside also but give as alms those things that are within and behold everything is clean for you but woe to you pharisees for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of god These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seed in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. Welcome to dinner, Jesus. I'm glad you came. Can can you imagine this scene here? The the Pharisee invited him to dinner. Jesus didn't wash his hands. Pharisee is upset about that and Jesus launches into him. The host of the dinner. He probably didn't get dessert that night. But let me remind you who these Pharisees are. So the Pharisees are sort of volunteer leaders in the Jewish culture. Their one desire is to keep the written law of Moses perfectly, but also to keep the oral law perfectly. So not just the scripture that they had, the Old Testament that we know, the, the five books of the law, But they also wanted to keep the oral tradition of the law perfectly. They were all about following the rule to honor God. They thought that honoring all of these rules was the way to honor God. And one of those oral laws was to wash your hands before eating. That's a good rule today too. We've talked about that a few weeks ago. You sing your happy birthday song, which none of us do. But here he is. He's at the table. He's reclining. And the Pharisee is amazed, astonished, surprised, sort of this like, I can't believe what I'm seeing here. So not only is it an insult to God, but you're sort of insulting the host as well. And so Jesus does something unique here. Normally, when Jesus knows the thoughts of someone else, he asks a bunch of questions. He rarely defends himself, but he usually asks questions. But in this case, he doesn't ask any questions. He goes right on the attack. Like He, he just hits straight at it. He wants to expose the hypocrisy and the sin of of the Pharisees, these religious leaders who are only concerned with the rule followers. And so he says this thing about keeping the outside of the cup clean, and then he mixes his metaphors for all of our English teachers. They would be upset with him because he talks about a cup, and then he changes and talks about his life, that you keep the cup on the outside clean, but the inside is dirty, full of wickedness and greed. You're shiny and pretty on the outside. But who you are on the inside is dirty. You love money. You're wicked in your approach. You're unscrupulous. You're only concerned with the things that you want. And anyone who doesn't do that, you're against them. 
And he attacks this Pharisee. Because he asked the question then, didn't God make both the outside and the inside? And you only have concern for one of those, the outside. Your only concern is making sure that your public appearance, that your presence before others is perfect. That you follow all the laws and the rules and you cross every T and dot every I. That's all you're worried about. But Jesus is concerned about both, and perhaps we might say he's more concerned with the inside than the outside, because it's our heart that matters. It's our heart. The Pharisees were more concerned with what they did than who they were, and Jesus is more concerned with who you are than what you do all the time. And so let me remind you, church family, that who we are is what drives what we do. Who we are, who we are drives what we do. The heart turned to God, surrendered to Jesus, given over to Him, our lives on the inside are what push us to do the things we do. Not activity then somehow changes our heart it doesn't work that way activity does not change your heart no your heart changes your activity and the pharisees had missed it they thought that all this righteous self-righteous activity is what made them perfect before god and jesus said no he looked deeper into their lives He looked to the heart of the matter, to their heart, what was on the inside. If the inside is clean, then the outside will be clean. Just because the outside looks good doesn't mean the inside is clean. There's a great biblical commentary named Leon Morris. I love his name. Anyway, Leon is a great name. But he says it this way. He says, when one gives from the heart... Everything is clean. He's summarizing that passage. When one gives from the heart, everything is clean. But no amount of pouring of water can make up for a wrong state of an inward life. It doesn't matter how much water you pour on it, no matter how much soap you put on it, no matter how many times you send it to the cleaners, if it's not clean on the inside, it's never going to be clean on the outside. I'm one of these people that don't like spots on my clothes and and last week we went to lunch and I realized afterwards that I had spilled ketchup or sauce or something on my pant leg well I won't tell you what my first thought was because it would have well I will tell you it was well I'm probably not wearing these again that I mean I'm sort of like that but instead I thought no these are very nice pair of pants that were a gift so I went home, I put some Tide on it, rub, rubbed the Tide in, washed it off, kind of did it. And then, of course, I forgot about it, which happens a lot. And so I pulled it back out yesterday, and I'm like, oh, my pants. So I kind of did it again, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. It looks like it's getting there, and I'm going to send them to the cleaners. And surely they'll be fine. But you can be guaranteed if they're not fine, guess how many times I wear those again? Zero. I'm weird like that, you know. But we're all like that on something where the outside matters, where the appearance makes a difference, where your way is the way that really is the only way. 
And we miss the heart of God. And that's what he was trying to communicate to his dinner companion that night. That it's not the outside that matters. It's the heart. And so he makes these woe statements. Now, today, when we, we say woe or we hear that word in the scripture, we think, oh, here, here it comes. The hammer's coming, which is true. But woe is not a word of vindication. Word is, uh, woe is not a, a word of condemnation. No, woe is a word of lament, a word of regret, a word of pain. And so though Jesus calls the Pharisee a fool, which is the worst insult you could give to someone in the ancient world, he, he has compassion for all people. And he's concerned about their heart. He's concerned about their life. And so when he says, woe to you Pharisees, he's lamenting the fact that they've missed it, that they've missed the heart of God's word. They've missed the coming of the Messiah. They've missed love and mercy and faith. They've missed it. And so woe to you who give above and beyond the tithe Oh, okay. here's a preacher telling people not to give. That's not what he's saying. <laughs> what he's saying is, you Pharisees, not only do you give 10% of your income, but you actually go out into your garden and you find the mint and the rue and you even tithe 10% of your herbs, which according to law was not necessary. You didn't have to do that. But they wanted so much to, to follow the rule and be perfect in every way that they would go into their garden and cut those and then give those. But as they did that, what did they do? When they went to the synagogue to make their offering, they walked by dozens of people in need who were hurting and struggling, those who were sinners and tax collectors, and they turned a blind eye to them because they were so determined to do what God said. They missed the heart of God. And so he tells them, keep giving, but don't miss justice for the poor. Don't miss the oppressed who are in your circle of influence. Don't miss the people who you walk by every day. And for us, don't miss the person who is struggling, who is heartbroken, who is oppressed, who is drowning in life that you're sitting next to in class that you share an office with, that you live across the street from, that you have the same last name because they're related to you. Don't miss those who need justice and mercy. Don't miss those who need a helping hand. Don't miss those who need to be lifted up from their station because you're so focused on giving to God more than you think he really needs because that'll get you in his good graces. No, continue to give and be generous, but be generous with your entire life because your heart is a generous heart because you know your God is a generous God who loves you unconditionally. And so don't miss justice for others. Don't miss love for God, the love of God. Don't carry your alms 
past those who are in need and ignore them. Don't pass up an opportunity to help someone who's in need. Don't think that your activity is what makes God love you more. No, it's simply our heart. It's mercy and faith. The parallel passage to this in Matthew where it says justice and love of God, it talks about mercy and faith. That if you have love of God, he wants us to see that the love of God is about mercy and faith. That when you and I express mercy and grace and we live by faith, not by sight, not by activity, that that's when we understand the greatness of God. That's when we're living a life that's worthy of the gospel. And so Jesus isn't condemning them for their tithing or their generosity of their income. No, what he's condemning them for is that they miss the real heart of the matter. That we look past the needs of people so that we can carry out our duty. And we miss the unconditional love of God. Because we want everyone to follow the rules. And these Pharisees, they were great at it. They were really good. Really, really, really good. But they focused on the detail. The minutia. The less important thing. And they missed the greater thing. You ever done that? Focused on the detail too much that you missed the big picture? We do that a lot with our kids because we want them to follow the rules perfectly and students kind of get an amen. That was, mm, timing's everything and I'll give you a C plus. But, but we want people to follow the rules according to our rules. And that's the Pharisees. And sometimes when we think about our kids, that's how we are. We want them to follow the rules. We don't want them to get hurt. We want them to make good grades, make good choices, do all the right things. And so we set up all these rules. And, and yet somehow, when they get grown and they start having kids of their own and we become grandparents, all of that goes out the window. And now it's like unconditional love. Here's candy at 9 p.m. Here's 20 bucks because your parents are mean to you. Maybe we should treat others like our grandparents treat us. Then we might see some life change happen. Because I'm confident that because of our laughter, we know that we get focused on the minutia, the rule. And we miss an opportunity for love and mercy. And so may we not do that. Because the greatness of our witness is not in our perfection, but in our love. The greatness of our witness is not in how perfect we are. Because trust me, we're, you're not going to get there. But it's in how much we love one another. And how much we see others and hold on to the heart of God. And so rather than taking pride in tithing their herbs, 
Rather than taking pride in choosing the best seat in the synagogue so they can kind of survey everything. I know none of us are guilty of that. Like, ooh, I want to check everything out. I got to get the right seat. Oh, who's here? Who's not here? Right? We would never admit those things. But we position ourselves for our greatest advantage, and that's what they did. And so rather than taking pride in their activity when it came to giving, rather than taking pride in choosing the, the place of honor or distinction, rather than taking pride in their elaborate greetings, focusing on all these wrong things, let us focus our attention on the right things. And, and as I read this passage and it said, you know, you find your best seat there in verse 43. You look for the best seat in the synagogue and you have all these greetings in the marketplace. Like, what in the world? A greeting in the marketplace. Like, COVID has changed greetings forever. Maybe for a good way and maybe not so good. It happened to me this morning even. I, I, I went to fist bump Another person put his hand out, so I put my hand out. He fists, like, it was this. It was, a, it was a train wreck of a greeting. It's the worst. I hate it. I just want to give you a big bear hug. And that way we don't have to worry about it. And if we both get COVID, well, I'm sorry. Not really. I strike that from the video. <laughs> but but it's, this greeting idea has messed us up. But I think about what are these elaborate greetings? What is an elaborate greeting? And then it hit me. I know where we see elaborate greetings in our culture. I don't watch the NBA very much, but occasionally I'll see the highlights and, and you'll see these guys before the game. You know, you know, dancing, all this stuff. It's amazing. They have to practice. And so I want you, as, as a constant reminder of maybe focusing on the wrong thing and missing the right thing, watch how these NBA players greet one another. Now, every time you see that, hopefully you'll be reminded of Luke 11, that Lord, let us focus on the things that are important. But it's amazing to me. You even saw James Harden. Now he's on that dreaded team, but they're on opposite teams. 
and they're greeting each other. Then Trey Young for the Hawks, he and his. And then the Denver Nuggets, I think it's Luka Don, Donchick or however you say his name. He was like half into it, like, uh, I don't have any rhythm. I can't do anything, but I'll move my hands and that. And then, of course, Steph Curry. Oh, he's so sweet and nice to his daughter. We love her. She's so cute. It's great and wonderful. But why are these men there? Okay, thank you. It wasn't rhetorical. Uh, it wasn't hard either, I don't think, to play basketball. They're, they're there to play basketball. And, and as you and I consider how we position our lives, how we negotiate life, how we maneuver, are there times when we focus on the things that really don't matter so that we can follow the rule or make someone else follow the rule? And we miss an opportunity to show love and grace and mercy. An opportunity to demonstrate faith to someone else. To lift them up when they're seeking welfare and hope and peace. That's the goal. And Jesus, as he says, woe to you Pharisees, because they miss the important thing for the minutia. He then sort of changes topics a little bit and gives them another woe. Woe to you who are like an unmarked grave and people walk over it. Like, what, what is in the world? Or, or is he saying that you're, you're like a dead person that nobody pays attention to? That would kind of be a bad thing. But, but the meaning actually is much deeper here. Because if, if you were walking along and you stepped on an unmarked grave, you would immediately be declared ceremonially unclean. So you couldn't go into the synagogue. You couldn't go worship. And so he's not just telling them that their lives are focused on the wrong thing. He says, your life is dirty, unclean. You've missed the mark completely. Because if someone engaged you, encountered you, now they're unclean. You've caused someone else to be unclean because you are unclean. You think you're nice and shiny. You think that you have all the answers. You think that you know how to tell everyone how to live but you've completely missed it because you focused only on the rules and you've missed the heart of God. You've missed faith and love. And so I wonder, are we nice and shiny on the outside, but we're filled with bitterness? We're filled with prejudice, gossip, Selfish ambition. And though we may put on a good show, our heart is far from God and our heart is unclean. Let me invite you today to surrender that to Jesus. Surrender it to him. And to place your faith and your trust in him. Don't miss his greatness as savior of the world, the one who cleanses all unrighteousness. That every issue that we have, he will make clean and new. And simply, 
He asks us to follow him, to turn our life over to him, to place our faith in him. That's what he asks. And the Pharisees missed it time and time and time again. At least most of them did. Because they were too concerned with following my agenda. They missed it. And so may we not miss it. And as you and I encounter others, as we interact with people of all different shapes and sizes, backgrounds, abilities, cleanliness, may we not miss their greatness because we're too busy looking at their faults. May we not miss their greatness because that's what happened to Jesus. Look at verse 53 at the end of that chapter. After he tells the Pharisees, woe to you, the lawyers at the, at the dinner say, hey, uh, what about us? Uh, can you insult us too? And he obliges. He does it. And so we're, you can read that on your own later. But he picks the story up, and this is what happened. As a result of this dinner, this is what happened. He went away from there. And the scribes and Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. If they weren't his enemies before today, they are now. They were so concerned about his faults, which of course he had none, that they missed his greatness. May we not be guilty of the same thing when it comes to others. May we not miss the greatness of others because we're only looking for their faults. We're only seeing how they don't measure up. We're only seeing how they're too unclean. And we look for the greatness in others that they too can become a new creation, that no one is too far, no one is too gone, no one is too messed up, no one is too different than me. That we can see their greatness to look beyond their faults to the hope in Christ. And so today, as we close, I want to invite you in a few minutes when we stand and sing, I want to invite you to come and pray. Because you may be here this morning and you've realized that you've been more focused on what you do than who you are. And your activity is the thing that drives you rather than who you are in Jesus. And maybe today you've realized, you know what, I've cleaned up pretty good, but my inside is pretty dark. And I don't have a relationship with Christ. I've just gone through the motions. I've just done the activity of church and religion. But I've missed the person of Jesus whom I need to place my faith in to forgive me of my sin, to make the inside and the outside brand new. I want to invite you today, if that's you, to respond to him, to simply say, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm unclean and I need you. So I place my faith in you to make me clean, to wash away my sins and to give me hope and new life. And he will do that. He promises that he will do that. And so if that's you today, I invite you and we stand and sing to come and pray. You can let one of us know that's the greatest joy of life is to share that reality with others, that I have new life in Christ. And so I invite you to come and share that with one of us. 
If you're here today, though, and you've been kind of going through the motions, maybe this COVID season has caused you to go through the motions and, and your heart really isn't into it, and so you just put up a good front, I invite you to come and pray and say, God, change me from the inside out. Give me a new perspective on love and grace and faith and mercy. But perhaps you've been more focused on the shortcomings of people around you. And so you've missed opportunities to love. I invite you to come and pray and say, God, give me a new opportunity to love, to demonstrate faith before them, to show how great you are to people in my life. And we're gonna sing a old song today that talks about our heart and how God looks into our heart so we may focus on him and focus on his love for us and for others.